Ian, have you watched that? It's no. a four four part limited series on Netflix. What is it about? So good. It's about this woman who started this restaurant. It was like a vegan restaurant, mm-hmm. and it got super popular. Like Alec Baldwin ate there. Like celebrities would eat there. Like Luke Wilson would walk through the kitchen. I mean, well, then she started dating this guy. As always is the case, she like quit paying her staff. The payroll Uh-oh. checks were bouncing, and it, and then when they dug deep into uh, and like she was stiffing investors, like not <gasps> repaying them. And so when they deep dived into what exactly was going on, it was absolutely freaking bizarre. And they talked to the woman. I mean, she's there. I forget her name. Sarma. Her name what was Sarma. happened? She was busted buying a Domino's pizza. <laughs> Yeah. So. Oh my God, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just crazy intertwined story. I watched it. It was four episodes of limited series. I watched it in like a day. That's insane. And then the other one I watched, Pieces of Her with Tony Collette on, uh, it's not a documentary. Wait, that sounds very familiar. It just came out on Netflix. It's like in the top 10. Girl, I binged it in a day. It was. So for those of you that didn't know, uh, this is uh, Let the Good Crimes Roll. I am Casey Forbes. And I'm Sarah Cooper. And welcome. Um, so we're going to be talking about something that's kind of popular right now on Netflix. It was in the top 10. I don't know if it is anymore. I don't even think I saw it on Netflix. I, I think I saw it on like Investigation Discovery or something. What? Yeah. This was on Investigation Discovery? Don't think I watched it on Netflix. I'm going to oh. say it came on TV and okay. I just happened to be scrolling through and it just came on or something. Yeah. yeah like with Bert. looking grandma. That, yeah. Maybe I did. I think you watched it on Netflix because this is, I, I think, a, a Netflix maybe series that came out. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about worst roommate ever. This is season one, episode one. Call me grandma. <laughs> Ooh, call me grandma. Grandma in the cartoon reenactment in this grandma looks like Gollum. Is she not <laughs> she from really the Lord does. of the Rings? They oh like God. morph her. She looks like a little old lady and then they morph her into Gollum. Yeah. And then she like moves her glasses. It's like it's yeah. a Gollum put on a wig and some glasses. Yeah. It's creepy AF is mm-hmm. all I can say. So so we're in Sacramento, California around 1988. At the time, Sacramento was a really up and coming area in California. It's the capital of California. But there was a homeless problem, meaning there was a lot of homeless people. And most of these homeless people, just like it is today, they really suffered with mental illness. And so in an effort to combat this, a task force was created by County Mental Health. Volunteers of America was a part of this task force, including a social worker named Judy. Our goal was to get them off the street and get them connected with mental health services and a decent place to live. They suffer from paranoia and that keeps them from going to shelters, from getting into decent living situations. Judy is the hero of this story. Yeah. Even though my I heart goes out to Judy. I don't think she thinks she's the hero. She Judy is the hero yeah. of the story. Oh, for sure. So the goal of this task force was to get those who were mentally ill off the street and basically just to get them help. This makes me think in my old job, you know, I was downtown. There was a man. He was an older man. He clearly he was homeless. Like we all knew he was homeless. I'd get to work and I would see him like digging through the trash can. Mm-hmm. If you passed him, I mean, like he smelled really bad. Like you, you he probably hadn't showered in a while. Yeah. But I just remember thinking like, how do you help someone like that? Because you can tell he's got some sort of mental illness. Right. There was a woman who I noticed more than once. Every day she would give him a sandwich. I guess when she was making her lunch, she would make an extra one in the event that she saw him. 
And she'd walk up to him and she'd give him a sandwich. And I just thought that was so nice. Ugh, people like that just restore your faith in humanity, you it, know, because it's, it's the little thing. You see, you see like the homelessness around Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, uh, instead of helping people, our government went around with like a traco and like was grabbing all the things from the underpass and, mm-hmm. and taking them to the dump. So that's. Well, it hurts my heart because I do think the majority of true homelessness really is mental illness mm-hmm. and they don't have a family yeah. to step in and grab them or they do or have they a family do, and the family has exhausted all the options right. or they have no other means to right. help them because I mean you know if, if a well, person like what doesn't to Bert. if a person doesn't want to get help they you can't force them exactly. you know unless I mean I guess unless you have somebody committed but right but I mean to what extent I know. do you have someone you know or, know or if they just disappear and you can't find them yeah exactly it, it's really heartbreaking so Bert Montoya was born in Costa Rica He moved to the U.S. with his family when he was 16 years old. It was around this time that Bert started displaying symptoms of schizophrenia. He was put in a mental institution where he received quite a bit of shock therapy. When he got out of the mental institution, he didn't tell his family... See, there's an example. Instead, he made his way to Sacramento, California and found himself living in a detox facility despite the fact that he wasn't an addict. Yeah, for him, I'm sure it was just like a place to lay your head, you know, some shelter. And they took him in. Yeah. They said, you can stay here. To their credit, I mean. And we don't, I don't know, they don't say exactly where he came from to get to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. They just say his family moved to one of the southern states. So, I mean, it could have been Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. We don't know. But, I mean, presumably he traveled pretty far. Well, so we see some home video from the 1980s and there's Judy with her fair faucet wavy hair. <laughs> on the very first day, I noticed him. I have it on video. His birth name was Alvaro Gonzalez Montoya. People called him Bert. I have a son that's mentally ill, and he had a lot of uh, delusions and a lot of fears, and I recognized that in Bert right away. The voices that talked to you, did they go away with the medicine? No, they They didn't go away. She became acquainted with Bert. We don't really know how, but we know that she does and she said he reminded her of her own son who also suffered from delusions Mm -hmm. judy asked bert if he would like to get out of the detox facility and be placed in a home environment while he got help for his mental illness and he says in the documentary he says yes i i do i I would like that he just seemed like a big teddy bear to me yeah he really did that's just a sweet big teddy bear like a gentle giant kind of guy so judy was told that a woman named dorothea puente offered her home to those with mental illness. Dorothea Puente was loved by her community and loved by local politicians because, of course, she donated their campaigns and things. She would donate to local charities and give them bags of clothing. She was taking in all these people. She treated her neighbors well. And every Wednesday or Thursday was burrito day. And so she was giving free food away to the community. And she treated them wonderfully. Um, who told her this? Yeah. Is my question. What recommendation? Who gave that recommendation? Can we just speak to this person? Because that was a lot. <laughs> but we'll get there. And it's just going to get infuriating. 
By all accounts, though, Dorothea was loved by the community. Bunch of idiots, yeah. apparently. Yeah, well, I mean, she, I'm sure she put on a good show, you she, know? Yeah, I mean, she's a looking. master manipulator. Yeah. She was said to have donated clothes, food, money. Local politicians loved her, but most local politicians do love crazy people, so... They love people that give them money. You know, we start off thinking, you know, Dorothea looks like just this sweet little <laughs> lady that might have been on the Golden Girls, mm-hmm. you know? She, and she, that's exactly what she looks like, somebody that could have come off the Golden Girls girls. Yeah, but she would be Mrs. Claxton. Remember that woman? Mrs. Claxton? So Mrs. Claxton was in one episode and they wanted to cut down a tree and the whole neighborhood didn't want to cut down this tree, but it was on Mrs. Claxton's yard and she was a mean old Betty and she said cut it down. So when they were in court, Rose finally had enough of her and stood up and she said you know what? You can just drop dead. And Mrs. Claxton did. did. Yeah. That would happen to Rose. Yeah, and Rose felt horrible about it, but then ultimately they, they went saved to... the tree. Well, so there was a funeral, and nobody showed up uh, except for one woman, and she was proceeding to give a, um, a really sweet eulogy, but then she said, you know, such and such who wasn't Mrs. Claxton, and Dorothy said, who? And she said, she said, this is Mrs. Claxton, and the woman kicked the coffin and walked out. <laughs> so ultimately... The tree was saved because Mrs. Claxton was cremated and nobody wanted her ashes. So Rose went and dumped her ashes around the tree and that was considered a... That is perfect. A, I guess, someone's (laughs) grave. The writers of Golden Girls were just epic. Oh, man. Off that little sidebar. We just need a little uh, break from the so, sadness. So the, this Dorothea lady yeah, reminded you of she, Mrs. Clack. Well, I mean, later she does. Yeah. But okay. Anyway, so so when someone moved into her two-story home, which this home was so cute. Mm-hmm. Did you not think this house mm-hmm. was adorable? It's precious. Except the inside. But the outside, <laughs> well, it looked like an old lady with her hoarding a hoarding problem lived in there. She would occupy the second floor while her hoarders would occupy the first floor. Her hoarders? <laughs> her hoarders. I'm sorry. Her, her borders. borders. <laughs> her borders. You know, it could work either way, though. It could. Because she liked to hoard them blue pills. You know what I mean? Oh, my goodness. Um, the boarders would pay their rent with their social security checks and food was included. Wait, didn't she have them sign over the checks yeah. like to her? Like, yeah, so they were going like directly to her uh-huh. she and was she was pay. managing basically their finances. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. Mm. Most of them had little to nothing to do with their families. So that's where it comes in that she was given permission to sign their social security checks and deposit them in the bank. Mm-hmm. Judy contacted Dorothea and asked if Bert could board at her home. So we went to Dorothea Puente's house to see if it would be okay for Bert. She seemed so sweet. She had a box of kittens. She had little bottles of milk that she was feeding them. And she said, excuse me, I've I've got the kitties here. And we're really impressed with that. We're thinking, gee, she is nice. You know, she's got a box of kittens. Dorothea at the time, this just got me. As if they show up and Dorothea says, oh, honey, hold on real quick. I'm nursing a box of kittens. (laughs) And this bitch has kittens in a box that she's nursing. (laughs) That just doesn't sound well, she's, right. She's bottle feeding. <laughs> she is doesn't... trying to sell this. So she went and stole oh, a man. box of freaking kittens. Oh, my God. What happened to the kittens? Did we ever find out what happened no. to these kittens? Never. This added to the idea that Dorothea was just such a wonderful caregiver. Also, Judy recognized a fellow boarder named John Sharp. 
He told Judy that life was great at Dorothea's home, which put Judy at ease and that this was the right place for Bert. Dorothea assured Judy that she was independently wealthy and did this out of the kindness of her heart, but that she would also be glad to be the payee for all of Bert's social security checks. Yeah. Judy made all of the arrangements and at first Bert was doing great. He developed friendships, had his own space, and said he was happy living in Dorothea's house because Judy kept tabs on Bert and wanted to make sure yeah, he was she fine. did. she did her job. Like, she kept up with him, made mm-hmm. sure he was okay. Yeah. But after a while, Judy found it harder and harder to get in touch with Bert. On one such phone call, Dorothea told her that Bert had gone with her brother to Mexico, which she thought, that's pretty strange because mm-hmm. Bert's not... That, that just doesn't sound like something Bert would do. Right. And Judy just felt like she just had an uneasy feeling about it. She said, oh, he'll be back maybe on, say, Friday. When I called, no, he isn't here. He'll be back next week. Don't worry about it. Then I said, no, what I'm going to do is on Monday, I am going to call the police and I am going to say there's a missing person here. So she continued to call. And finally, Judy told Dorothea that if she didn't hear from Bert, I believe it was a Thursday or Friday, she didn't hear from him by Monday, that she was contacting the police and filing a missing persons report. Well, lo and behold, Judy received a phone call on Monday morning from a man at Dorothea's house stating that his family had picked him up and he was no longer staying at the house. Judy didn't believe this, so she contacted another boarder, John Sharp, who we talked about earlier, and wanted to know what was going on with Bert. All John said was Bert was no longer there, but he tells Jody that no one went to Mexico, including Dorothea's brother, or Bert. It was mm-hmm. all a lie, and Dorothea had asked them all to lie. John told Judy that something was wrong at the house and that Dorothea had been digging a lot of holes. Okay, like in the backyard. Yeah. So something was up. That's not normal. No. At all. Like you see an old lady and her yeah. moo in the backyard. Just I can just holes. picture it. Like I'm picturing like a little Sophia, you know, from Golden Girls, like mm-hmm. in her little house dress, like with a shovel in the backyard. Oh, yeah. So who was Dorothea Puente? She was born Dorothea Gray in Redlands, California in January of 1929. Both of Dorothea's parents died when she was young, and she started committing crimes in Southern California starting in 1948, when she was first convicted of forgery for writing a fictitious check. Dorothea worked as a prostitute, now that's their words, not mine, in the 1950s, and eventually worked her way up to a madam. (laughs) (laughs) She worked her way up. When they said that, they said, damn, she started out as a prostitute. She did her time, you know, mm-hmm. took them uh, prostituting classes and got her master's in hooking. She's got her certification. She graduated <laughs> and they hired her own as a madam. Oh, my yeah. gosh. She was arrested and convicted for being a, both a prostitute and a madam in the 1960s, serving a short stint in jail. In 1982, Dorothea picked up a man in a bar went back to his hotel room, slipped him some form of paralytic, and the man woke up to Dorothea rifling through his things and robbing him. She actually walked up to him and pulled a ring off of his finger. (laughs) So obviously when the man regained his motory functions um, a few hours later, he reported the incident to the police and Dorothea was arrested. At the time of her arrest, police discovered that Dorothea was representing herself to be a medical doctor to elderly women... They said elderly women. I believe it was like elderly people. She would sometimes carry around a medical bag to make it look as though she was a practitioner of some sort. She had a stethoscope in there. She had blood pressure cuff. She was not a doctor. She was not a nurse. They were props. 
she was administering some kind of stupefying drug to them because all of the victims reported the same kind of symptoms. And when they awoke, jewelry, coins, checks were missing. Dorothea would do to the elderly women and men what she did to the male victims. She would drug them, and tempor- which temporarily paralyzed them. And she, uh, when they would wake up, they were robbed. Mm-hmm. What a bitch. Like, I mean, that is pure evil. <laughs> oh, yeah. To, like, oh. So Dorothea pled guilty to five felonies and was sentenced to five years in prison. She went to prison in 1982. Dorothea's story landed in the local newspaper, and it didn't take long for a family to contact the city prosecutor and tell them that they believed Dorothea had poisoned and killed their mother. So their mother was a woman by the name of Ruth Monroe. She worked at a local pharmacy, and she met a man named Harold. He would come in, and eventually he asked her out, and she accepted. The two began dating. The two would go to a local restaurant where Dorothea was a part-time cook. Dorothea knew Harold. Harold. And that's how the two women met because they were their mutual friend was Harold. Mm-hmm. Ruth and her family initially thought Dorothea was this just sweet little old lady who was just really good friends with Ruth. When we first met her, she seemed like a nice person, real friendly. And then after a while of being around, then that's when she started saying, well, call me grandma. And Ruth enjoyed the friendship. Ruth had a little bit of money stashed away. So upon hearing this, of course, Dorothea convinced Ruth to go in with her to open a restaurant together. Dorothea continuously told Ruth the restaurant wasn't making money. And she would tell Ruth, you have to keep putting more and more money in because our we're, our restaurant's drowning. But my question is, why didn't Ruth say, well, what are you putting into yeah, it? Yeah, that yeah. one, that kind of struck me as odd. But I was like, well, maybe Ruth was the one in there running the day to day kind of thing. Maybe so. I don't know. It still doesn't I mean, seem right. We have to recognize that Dorothea was smart when it came to emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. She knew how to identify people that were trusting more yeah. than the norm and were accepting of her bullshit. Yeah, and she know? could very much identify their weaknesses exactly. and kind of play into that. Well, you know? exactly. Yeah, and we'll find this as a theme throughout the mm-hmm. entire the entire situation. But so Harold, Ruth's boyfriend, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he ultimately passed away. After he passed, though. Ruth was lonely and decided to move in with Dorothea as a roommate. Ruth's son would stop by every day after work. And at first, things were fine until they weren't. One day, Ruth's son stopped by to check on his mom and he noticed that she had a drink in her hand. The drink guys, well, what is it? And she said, cream de mint. Which was odd because she didn't drink. And he said she was actually had some sort of allergic reaction to alcohol that would make mm-hmm. her sick. Ruth explained that Dorothea made her a drink to calm her nerves. And Ruth was upset that not only had the restaurant closed, but she had spent all of her money in a business that ultimately failed. The next day, Ruth's son stopped by again. But Dorothea told him that his mom was in bed and she was gravely ill. Dorothea told Ruth's son just to let her rest, but he insisted on seeing her. Ruth was almost in a catatonic state. I don't understand why he didn't bring her to the hospital. I know. That's what kind of struck me as weird. I was like, I don't I don't get why you why some red flags weren't like raised yeah. here. Like why Like he said she was just like staring off. Yeah. She had tears coming she down had her a eyes. tear coming down her eye and she couldn't she didn't say anything. Like that's weird if to that me. That like, was my mom or dad. I would be like, let's we would have called nine one one and exactly. had them come up there. He says that Dorothea told him that she was a nurse in her prior line of work which was a lie yeah and that she was taking care of her so the next morning the son gets a phone call from his sister and apparently dorothea called the sister early in the morning and said your mother passed away come and get her things which is crazy that is insane it is and they go to like quote unquote get her things it's an empty purse yeah 
her money, her jewelry, anything Everything she owned. Gone. Yeah. Supposedly, according to Dorothea, Ruth left it all to her. And can you imagine the guilt the son must feel? Yeah. Like, oh my God, I should have like I taken her to, her to the hospital. Something, you yeah. know? And not trusted this crazy yeah. woman. Um, can you imagine like what she was thinking in that moment? Like she can't, she clearly can't move or talk and she doesn't know what's wrong and she's like okay my son's here he's gonna help me and then he just leaves and he just leaves yeah and then comes in dorothy oh my god in the cartoon thing you can like dorothy's got her ear up against the Mm -hmm. you know that's what was yeah that crazy oh yeah so the sick the most sickening part of the whole situation was ruth's children learn that dorothea had reported her death to the coroner and told the coroner that she killed herself it was a suicide when they did the autopsy there was a toxic level of medication in her which ultimately was because of her death and her kids were like she did not commit suicide Mm -hmm. the prosecutor assigned to look at the case was shocked by dorothea's history of drugging victims and ruth's situation dorothea had drained ruth of all of her assets and she clearly drugged her and killed her but you know where's the evidence of that outside of of and when was this taking place so the, this was like no, this was like 1982. This okay. was before she went to jail for the other stuff, for the madam stuff, for the. It was kind of confusing in the documentary because what they did was they she went to jail because of she was drugging these elderly people, right? Mm-hmm. She was pretending to be. There was the guy at the bar, and then there were the elderly people. Yeah. She was saying she was a doctor and drugging, so she was going to jail for that. It was five counts of felony. Well, that's mm-hmm. when this family said, "I think this woman killed our mother." Okay. So this was like 1982. Okay. This was like beforehand. The prosecutor, who was very familiar with Ruth, he looks at the their case from 1982, but he's about to retire. Mm-hmm. So he hands the case over to the new prosecutor. In 19, you know, back in the 1980s, they didn't have the, the science that they have today. Right. And what they say is, look, we we just didn't have the evidence to prove that it wasn't a suicide. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. It's pretty sad but Dorothea goes to jail and she's in jail until 1985. It was then decided that she needed to change her MO when it came to stealing from people. After Dorothea Puente was released from prison in 1985 for the cases that I had been prosecuting her on she decided she had to change the way she was doing things. She could not be a caregiver outside of the home so she started taking in tenants from 1985 forward at 1426 F Street was there a mechanism in place at that time to catch someone like Dorothea Puente? There were a lot of mechanisms. She was prohibited by the terms of her parole from having anything to do with individuals as a caregiver. She was totally, um, well, she was totally illegal. So all this time, she wasn't killing people, except for Ruth, maybe. But for the most part, she was just drugging them and stealing from them. And while she was in jail, I think that's when light bulb went off of, like, these people can't survive. Like, I need to find people who don't have access to their families, mm-hmm. who, if they were to die, nobody's going to come looking for them. I can just hide them. And so that's where her crime spree really just took a sinister turn. So after getting out of jail, Dorothea was prohibited from representing herself as a caregiver or acting as a caregiver and her having a boarding home was completely illegal my question is where is the parole officer yeah like i mean i understand that like say with judy there wasn't like a system where she could go into and look this person up necessarily Mm -hmm. i mean she was given these credentials all this because these are in the 80s and they don't have great 
um, record keeping. Yeah, I mean, nothing's like digitalized either. It, right. So, I mean, she didn't, she just trusted what people said. But where's the parole officer who's supposed to be stopping by? Yeah. I mean, all the only thing they say is that she kind of knew what to say mm-hmm. to convince people that it wasn't a boarding situation. Yeah. But it, it's still weird. I guess she would get the people in the home to lie for her. That's Maybe? all I can think. I don't know. But what That's... she was doing was 100% illegal. What it appeared to me was that, like, she wasn't really even hiding it. You know, mm-hmm. if she was a, a pillar of the community, as they say, yeah. it meant the community knew who they she knew. was and what yeah. she was doing, which somebody dropped the ball there also if they wanted to look her up she had been married four times therefore she had four or five different last names Mm -hmm. and in different situations she would just use one of the last names i do i do remember them saying that that's why it was kind of hard to keep tabs on her because Mm -hmm. she had so many different aliases yeah and like we said like things weren't digitized back then so Mm -hmm. it was just kind of hard to figure out who was who and who did what. Right. And, you know? and they just took it at face value. I mean, yeah. she was a little old lady. She had a cute exactly. house. You know, the borders seemed happy. So they didn't really dive too deep into it. So she was able to run an unlicensed boarding facility for two and a half years when Bert Montoya went missing and Judy simply wouldn't drop it. Mm-hmm. So Good we're back to her. Yeah, we're back to Bert and we're back to Judy mm-hmm. where we started in the beginning. In 1988, an officer went to Dorothea's home at the request of Judy and everyone in the home said the same thing. Bert left with his family. But one boarder John Sharp slipped the officer a note that said, she wants me to lie to you. John, How smart is he? I know. You know? Or even how smart is the cop who just like, instead of him saying, she wants me to lie to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I shouldn't have read that out loud. (laughs) Because he subtly like took John away and talked to him. And John basically says that he didn't know what happened to Bert. But Dorothea basically told everybody, I want you to lie for me. I want you to lie about me being home. I want you to lie about A, B, and C. And pretty much everyone agreed to it. But Mm -hmm. John was like, something's wrong here. And he had actually told Judy that, you know, when Judy asked him, Mm -hmm. like, something's not right with this. The lead in Investigators started researching Dorothea Puente and discovered that she was on federal parole for slipping victims drugs and robbing them. So Judy told police. Judy was very persistent about us taking shovels. Yes, I did want them to go dig. We've got to do something because I still have a guy missing and I want to know where he is. You've got to do it. They are buried in that backyard. I'm telling you, John Sharp, who lives mm-hmm. there, said she is burying holes. But this is my thing, too. Like, do you really think, like, an old lady like that could load a dead body? Like, Bert Montoya, I mean, he was a 250-pound mm-hmm. man. So you wonder if someone I mean, else in the house, like, I, That's what I her. wonder. Like, if somebody in the house did not have the mental capacity to understand right. that they were helping her with a body. Yeah, like, you did know? she manipulate she, them? She probably could have just said, oh, this is some trash. Will you help me with it? Right. And, you know, in their mental state, they were like, oh, Sure. Okay. Yeah, this is some heavy yeah. ass trash. Yeah, yeah, what you got in here, Dorothea? Oh, look at this this rug. <laughs> Good God, it's covered in red paint. <laughs> So investigators, along with the, I put the most inept parole officer on planet Mm -hmm. Earth. That person should just be embarrassed to go there. Went to Dorothea's house and Dorothea stuck to her story about Bert. The investigator asked Dorothy, though, in front of her parole officer, what it was she was running in her home. And she turned to her parole officer and told him. She looked directly at her parole officer and she said, Jim, 
I'm in violation of my parole. And I looked at him and I remember he had like a stunned look. Like, okay, like, Jim, where you been? Because <laughs> that was his name. She's like, Jim, I'm in violation of my parole. I just wanted to be a caregiver to all these people who signed their social security oh checks. Oh my gosh. Jim, what the hell? <laughs> How'd you let me do this? What the hell, Jim? Dead gummit. So she agreed to let detectives search her home, and police kept finding blue pills. There was it was a drug used to help people sleep called diazepam that they mm-hmm. it wasn't Viagra. <laughs> Dorothea wasn't a kinky, kinky little <laughs> snake. She also gave police permission to dig in her yard. This almost made and I'm gonna dive into it mm-hmm. because um this is absolutely disgusting. They start digging. And at first, they come across garbage, Mm -hmm. but they keep digging. Next, they come across what they believe to be clothing. And then they tap into something that uh, he just described as looking like beef jerky. Oh, God. And I immediately knew what it was. I was like, yeah. And he kept pulling it. Ew. And then finally, he found bone. What was the beef jerky? It was actually human flesh that had come off of the bone. Y'all, the beef jerky was skin. It was skin <laughs> that was attached to bone. It was human flesh. <laughs> that is nasty. That is just. Oh, dis- I'm assuming he had gloves on. I would hope. If God. not, you know, I would be like running straight yep. to the Lysol. Yep. Give me that the hand sanitizer. so gross. Yeah. Like bathing in the Lysol. Right. Oh, good God. I, that's why I could not be a police. Every no. time I say I wish I would have been a detective, then I like read about a guy pulling skin up. Exactly. Like you think it's like really cool until you really stop yeah. and think like the kind of stuff they have yeah. to see. He just like Ugh. grabbed a big old thing of skin. Yeah. Oh. And he oh. described it as beef jerky. Bless it. Why you got to ruin beef jerky for all of us like this? <laughs> Dead gummit. And then of course, like I said, they found bone they found a femur bone so they immediately stopped digging and they got the coroner in there and a forensic anthropologist don't you think it's weird that she just gave them permission to do all of the things well i think she thought that they would stop when they found the garbage you think that she just did the garbage like as a distraction as a distraction to say like if someone says oh there's a stinky smell she i don't think she thought they would dig any deeper than that and the investigator said that he was sitting there digging and she was like on her balcony just staring at him looking all creepy that's weird yeah so that i just think doesn't she make sense knew. like i just don't i don't know i just i think she knew eventually she was going to get caught like mm-hmm. i genuinely believe that but so Dorothea is brought into the police station and she's placed in an interrogation room. How do you explain the body in the backyard? I don't Two and a half feet down I don't with know. clothing I don't and everything know. with it. How? When you find out how old it is and see that I didn't have anything to do with that. Dorothea? Sir, I don't know anything I'm going to ask you right now again. Are there any other bodies in your backyard? Not that I didn't even know that one was there. And she pretty much just sticks to her story. She professes her innocence. I don't know how that body got there. I didn't put it there. Um, She's asked if there are any other bodies in her backyard. She said, well, I didn't even know of that one. So I I don't know. Not that I know of. She's not initially arrested, but she is sent home. They don't really have enough evidence to arrest her just yet. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's kind of just hanging out. And she asked one of the detectives, like, she really wants to go to her nephew's house and get a cup of coffee and they really didn't have the right to like tell her no i mean Mm -hmm. they couldn't say no sit there and because she wasn't she wasn't under arrest so they tell her like yeah you can and then they found a second body yeah and the lead detective's boss said 
uh, a junior detective. Uh, any, any idea where Dorothea went, huh? Uh, well, she said she went right up the road and got some coffee. And so they hightail it up there trying to find her. And she's gone. No, shocker. She is on the <laughs> lamb. I never quite understood that uh, that saying. But she's gone in her red petticoat. I was going to say, she has like this. Uh, of all things, this woman's judgment, like. Yeah. She's in. She, you think you would want to be like inconspicuous and subtle mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, but no, she packs on a red coat and hightails it out of there. Well, you know what I picture? I picture her like limping out with that red petticoat, and then as soon as she's out of sight, like, she pulls like a Mrs. It. Doubtfire and just takes off yeah. running. Help is on the way, dear. Mrs. Doubtfire. Help is on the way. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. She ain't fragile at all. So in her absence, the digging continues and the bodies just pile up. As the body count rose, um, a bolo was put out to find Dorothea, like be on the lookout. One of the bodies that was found was confirmed to be our buddy Bert, oh, Bert, Bert Montoya. And Judy says that she was both relieved, but she just had an overwhelming feeling of guilt because oh, she yeah. felt like it was her fault. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, she's the one that took him from that detox center where mm-hmm. he was fine. Right. And, so, and she put them in this home. Yeah. You know, so I can imagine the amount of grief she felt. But you know, but for Bert, this would have continued yeah. until Dorothy had died. I yep. mean, she would have murdered people who she deemed less than, mm-hmm. who she deemed disposable. It would have just continued. Yeah. So, and I think at the very end, that's one of the things Judy said, if nothing else, Bert had a purpose in this life and that was to stop her. Yeah. You know, we can, I don't blame Judy. I mean, I feel like given the circumstances circumstances in the time Judy thought she was doing the best thing and she was keeping tabs she was calling mm-hmm. and checking on him and he, he seemed happy yeah. so this part is what got me because it came out that <laughs> Dorothea wasn't as old as she was actively making herself to be yeah. Judy killed me because Judy goes I think I was around 50 at that time she told me she was 65 or 70 she was my age at that time and this is what I find out later and me and that woman were the same age. And she's not lying. Like, when you yeah. do the math, she was like 50. Yeah. But she looks like she's 80-something. She looked old and haggard, but she did it on purpose. Like, Yo, she purposely yeah. dyed her hair. She mm-hmm. fixed that creepy-ass-looking makeup to look creepy. Yep. She wore, like, moo-moos. And it was know? just... It was- all part of it was the, part of yeah, an act yeah exactly to get people to trust her to convince them that mm-hmm. she wasn't a woman who could kill mm-hmm. you know i mean she was a serial killer let's yeah. just put it like that who yeah. looked like Gollum. <laughs> so in dorothea's home on the second floor police pulled dorothea's carpet up and what they found was another layer of carpet but they also smelt this overwhelming just putrid smell so when they pulled it up what they discovered was it was putrefied body fluid oh god this Uh. is where people would basically die and their bodily fluids would come out (sighs) in their last moments um they also found like lye in the yard i guess Mm -hmm. that's used to try and cover up the smell is it that or is that what like help to like decompose the bodies quicker i'm not really sure there's something that you put on the bodies that um, increases like the burning temperature so you can actually burn a body at a higher temperature. Is that is that why? I don't know, Sarah. I haven't <laughs> deep dived into covering up murders. We'll get back to you, audience. Um, I think it is lie, though. I really do. I think lie has some sort mm-hmm. of component that basically causes the body to break down quicker, if I'm not mistaken. But so a total of seven bodies were found buried in Dorothea's yard. Dorothea was ultimately found 400 miles south of Sacramento. I guess she was making her way towards the border. Yeah, to Mexico. She was caught wearing the same damn red petticoat. 
looking oh, a Lord. Fool. Yeah. When Dorothea's case broke, family members started contacting police in an effort to determine if the bodies that were there were their loved ones. Aww. And a lot of them were confirmed. They knew that, mm-hmm. you know, their mama, their long distance their cousin was staying right. there. They hadn't heard from them in years. They didn't know if they were alive or dead. And yeah. obviously, and I'm sure Dorothea fed them some kind of story about oh, oh, yeah. how they left or whatever. And they yeah. just, they believed it. And Dorothea continued to cash those checks. Yep. Cash those checks. One of the victims though, not in the backyard was a boyfriend of Dorothea's named Everson Gilmuth. So Everson started writing to her in a pen pal program and the two began dating. And when she got out of um, jail, he moved in with her and within two weeks of the two of them moving in together, his body was discovered by a river, but he was a John Doe. Was this before all the, the seven yeah. bodies? Okay. He was a so John after Doe. So after she got out of prison for being yeah. the madam, or yeah. no, for poisoning people. Girl, all the, she'd been in jail for all so many of different reasons. Okay. Reason well, after one of those other times. So, okay. So this yeah. is before the seven yes. dead bodies. Okay. He was just a random John Doe. and. Aww. They dis- one of the phone calls that they received was his family member saying she she was actually writing letters to I think his sister. Let me see. She sent postcards to his family for months, and after his death, she started bringing in people who needed help. So she's dating this guy, gets out of jail within two weeks. He ends up dead by a river, mm-hmm. but the police don't know who he is, and nobody comes forward. But she's still contacting his family, saying that he's fine. Like she's contacting them via postcards, right? Okay. And so they just believe her. So his family makes contact with police and is like, "I haven't heard from him." You know, my brother is this. That's when they pieced it together that there was a similar mo close to a river, not far from where she lives. So he was one of the victims. Goodness too. gracious. So she was charged with nine counts of murder in the first degree. So you've got Ruth Monroe, her boyfriend, Everson Gilmuth, and then the seven people that were buried in her backyard. Dorothea's case started in July of 1992. There was no confession, but she did admit to cashing their social security checks after they died of natural causes. And her motive was, was that she didn't contact police because they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. And she didn't want to go back to jail for violating her parole. Most of the jurors didn't believe that. Um, apparently there was one juror that just didn't believe she killed over three people, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So she was found guilty on three counts of murder and there was a deadlock on the other six, but she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Dorothy stole over $100,000 throughout her years of cashing in her victims' checks. And the people that were murdered by her were Leona Carpenter, Dorothy Miller, Benjamin Fink, James Gallup, Vera Faye Martin, Betty Palmer, Everson Gilmuth, Bert Montoya, and Ruth Monroe. It was really touching because the um, prosecutor, he read all their names out and he got like really, mm-hmm. he got teary eyed because he was like, these were real people. They were not disposable people. They didn't d- deserve, when we're when you watch the the murder trial, the prosecutor gives this impassioned speech. Yes, it's very emotional. Yeah, he's like, what did they have? They had their little, little social security check. And they had their life. That's all they had. They didn't have cars. They didn't have houses. They didn't have a lot of clothes. They didn't have anything. She took their checks away from them and then she took their lives away from them. For what? All they had was their little bitty social security in their life. And Mm -hmm. she took both. She's just an evil, evil person. Just to take advantage of 
the vulnerable, the like most that. vulnerable, you know, the yeah. most vulnerable. You know, like you've that. got addicts with no family. You've got, I mean, like Bert who had mm-hmm. mental illness Poor and was Bert. trusting. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's infuriating. But she died on March twenty seventh, two thousand eleven, in prison at the age of eighty two. I ain't she mad can, about that. No, she can just enjoy her time in hell. She's probably given the devil a hard time. Probably. I was gonna say she probably done poisoned. She probably mm-hmm. done like drugged him and stole half his. <laughs> Half his money. She's probably running it down there. Yeah, she's probably the leader. That's probably his mother. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. She wanted to take a vacation from hell, Mm -hmm. so she came up to Earth. Yep. And she's like, welcome back, son. And he's like, damn it. That's really the only explanation. Yeah. That's the only... She's the devil's Mm -hmm. mom. That's right. Well, Sarah, this was a good time as always. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do next week, but happy World Down Syndrome Day. Yes. I was going to do something special, but y'all know me. I don't do much, so... (laughs) She um, knew, like Central, um, tomorrow is supposed to be like a, a crazy sock day or something, yeah. like awareness or something. But of course, school got called off because of so bad weather. That's the weather coming. that's coming. So yeah, I guess they're going to reschedule it again. Yeah, they were off today for teacher planner day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. today is Monday, by the way. This will be released yeah. on Wednesday, True. but it's yeah. Monday and it's World Down Syndrome Day and. Yes. It's just been a yeah. Cool, we've got cool the DSAC walk coming up. Yep. Yeah, it's Saturday, doing, right? Yep. Okay, the buddy yeah. walk. It, yeah. It's from nine to two, but it officially starts at eleven. So. Yeah. They looks like it looks like there's gonna be like a lot of fun. I was looking at the map vendors. today, mm-hmm. and um, there's like a little carnival area mm-hmm. apparently, like food trucks and stuff. I'm excited about uh, me it. Too. And the weather is supposed to be amazing. It's gonna be hot at all, or just like no? Cool. I think it's gonna be like mid, like lower to mid seventies. Oh, I can't wait. Like sunshiny and everything. It's we, gonna be beautiful. We'll share some pictures on the Facebook yes. page. We absolutely will. We might even go live if I can figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. But on the phone, we could do it on the phone. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if I can figure out how to do it on Facebook, we'll we'll go live and show everybody. And y'all educate people about Down Syndrome. Yes. Oh, little Kate, man. I know. He's so precious. He's the cutest little thing. Man, like, I can't, I walked in the house today and Casey was feeding Kate and he, like, I, like, got in front of his face and, like, tickled his belly and he just had the biggest smile he on his does. face Ugh. and he, he didn't so... even care that we took away like his bottle halfway no. through he was like okay and in the mornings he's the happiest baby i know like, i saw he... your uh video today. that's every morning Ugh, that's he does so the little butt wiggle i love that's it. adorable he gets so he looks like yeah. a little caterpillar in his little <laughs> so in his little bodysuit thing that he yeah. put him in was it a, a, sack? Sleep, a sleep sack sleep sack yeah, yeah. he does a little, a little wiggle those it's are the so best cool. it really is oh my gosh yes Well, we will see y'all next week. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Bye.